It's Thursday, the 10th of uh, May. Uh, this is Cliff Lynch, the director of CNI, and thank you for joining us for our CNI conversations today. Uh, we've got two items on the agenda. Uh, first, I'm going to hand it over to our associate director, Joan Lippincott, who's going to share some uh, reflections on our recent executive roundtable and uh, topics emerging from that. And then I'm going to uh, come back and talk about a really interesting workshop I attended recently on the future of the web and its implications for archiving. So here's Joan. Thanks, Cliff. Uh, at our executive roundtables that take place on the morning of the first day of our CNI semi-annual meetings, we have a different topic of interest at each meeting. And uh, we invite teams, um, one representing someone from the administrative administrative level of the library, one from the administrative level of the IT organization, to come and participate and share their experiences, their concerns, their strategies, and their future plans. At our meeting in um, Baltimore on April 2nd, we had a discussion of issues related to multiple devices and platforms. And as all of you know, the faculty, staff, and students in our institutions not only are using their laptops, but a wide variety of mobile devices, notably smartphones and tablets. And these users have increasing expectations for the seamless use of a variety of devices to access all types of content and services. The urgency in addressing these developments seems greater today as we see serious movement towards e-textbooks. And again, those textbooks are coming out with a wide variety of platform strategies underpinning them. Uh, there's a lot of integration of mobile devices and applications into course and classroom experiences. And at times, one department will specify a particular device or strategy for uh, classes in that department, and another unit on class on campus will have different requirements, leading to um, increased expense uh, for students. New vendor offerings allow faculty and students to author for new mobile platforms, which is a really exciting development, but it also comes with exclusivity or lock-in provisions in many cases. We really need to understand better the kinds of expectations our campus constituencies have and how we might better accommodate um, our users on our campuses, including students and others with disabilities. So I'm just going to give you a quick uh, review of some of the highlights from the roundtable, and we'll soon have a report of the meeting on our website, and we'll announce the availability of the report on CNI Announce. So the first point I'd make um, coming from the institutions is that a minority of them represented at the roundtable had an overall institutional strategy for mobile devices, platforms, and content. In some cases, departments, colleges, or other units like a business school had well-developed strategies, but the strategies of these different units on the same campus might vary. 
Secondly, there was a strong trend towards focusing mobile development efforts on HTML5 web strategies and not on creating apps for specific devices. The resources needed to develop variations of apps compatible with particular devices are considered too resource intensive by most institutions. But it could be that we were hearing this viewpoint because most of those uh, who were at this roundtable work for a central library or a central IT organization which strive to serve a very diverse set of users. And some people from different parts of the campus or in specific schools or colleges may have different views of the uh, web versus app strategy. Next point, authentication and security in the mobile in environment is bringing new and complex challenges. There are no easy solutions and a lot of campuses are beginning to put time, energy, and resources into the issues related to authentication and security. Another point, the proliferation of mobile devices leads to an increased and some discussed, described it as insatiable need for wireless access and access to electrical power to, pow to plug in all of these devices. Students frequently use two to three devices at a time, but it's unclear in the future whether that will continue or whether people will uh, consolidate their use onto one, one device. It is clear that an increasing number of students are using phones or tablets to connect to information and to perform transactions. And this is corroborated by a Pew Internet and American Life study that just came out today and reported that 86% of adults have used their smartphone in the past month to make real-time queries in their daily life. I wouldn't surpri be surprised if you saw that high of percentage on a daily or weekly basis for college students. These students are increasingly plugging their small mobile devices into large display screens in libraries and computing labs, and they also want to have access to public printing from their mobile devices. And the final point I'd mention from the roundtable is that libraries and IT organizations have often been in the lead in developing services for mobile devices, but most are finding it difficult to keep up with the constantly changing environment and ever-increasing demands. However, they envision a future in which they can provide a rich and secure content environment that satisfies the teaching and research interests of our community, which continues to use a widening array of personal mobile devices. So look for our report on this roundtable. Now, as a bonus, I thought I'd just mention a few examples of interesting applications of use of mobile devices that I've encountered recently, and we'll put the URLs uh, for these examples on our website. First, LeafSnap is an electronic field guide being developed by researchers from Columbia University, University of Maryland, and the Smithsonian that uses visual recognition software to help identify tree species from photographs of their leaves, and it's a free mobile app. The second, wearable devices are one of the trends that we're watching. Take a look at a video on Project Glass developed at Google. It shows someone wearing goggle-type glasses on which all kinds of information and interactions are displayed as you follow the narrator through his day. 
And then, if you'd like to explore some cutting-edge music and art, try Cellphonia, where you can participate in sound and video installations or listen to new forms of opera. Um, they come from someone named Scott Gresham Lancaster, a pioneer of computer network music. I'll be doing a talk on mobile devices and libraries at the ALA Annual Conference in Anaheim at the RUSA President's Program on Sunday, June 24th. So over to you, Cliff. Thanks, Joan. Um, that that issue that you uh, raised, which we really heard um, loud and clear at the roundtable about multiple devices per person is certainly one that um, is having lots of ripple effects. Everybody who uh, a few years ago provisioned wireless for any kind of uh, large space, auditoriums, classrooms, things like this, is rapidly finding they have to double or triple the provisioning because uh, of this large number of active devices. And it's certainly turning into an enormous um, challenge for uh, network engineers to just keep up with this. Um, uh, I think they'd be very relieved if we see a trend towards device consolidation in the future. Um, my guess is we won't, but uh, I know that there are wildly differing views on this among different people. Um, we also, of course, um, have some data that says that um, while students have many different devices now, uh, tablets, laptops, uh, smartphones, um, that may want to make wireless connectivity, um, they don't always carry the larger ones around. Um, uh, they, Laptops in particular um, seem to not be um, popular for uh, lugging around to class unless you really know you're going to need them. Um, so maybe some relief there. The topic that I wanted to talk about today was a workshop that I um, was fortunate to be able to attend on the 3rd of May here in Washington, um, which really was both fascinating and deeply disturbing. This was put on by the International Internet Preservation Consortium, or IIPC, which um, started life about five years ago, I believe, as mainly a group of people from national libraries and a couple of other organizations like the Internet Archive that worked closely with national libraries that were involved in trying to um, capture and preserve large amounts of web material. Um, so you had a number of national libraries who were trying to uh, take, say, an annual snapshot of all of the web pages um, under their national domain or um, in their national language, uh, independent of domain. You had um, people like the Internet Archive who were trying to do really, you know, wholesale um, uh, coverage of the web. And um, they came together uh, largely to look at technical issues about how to design web crawling strategies and web uh, capture software. And they meet once a year. One of the really um, 
encouraging trends from my perspective, by the way, was that this group has, in the last year or two, broadened out a bit to um, uh, include substantially more participation, I believe, by research libraries. Um, as we see research libraries um, recognizing that um, crawling the web in various ways is got to be part of their uh, collection development uh, strategy and their stewardship responsibility, um, both in collaboration with faculty who are trying to document particular kinds of material or um, uh, just because of, of programmatic collecting strategies. This, this, um, this was a workshop, and I should mention, by the way, you can find um, information about the IIPC at netpreserve.org, net preserve all one word. Um, this workshop, which uh, was trailed on to the end of the IIPC meeting, was convened by David Rosenthal um, of Stanford University, uh, who um, I believe many um, uh, people listening to this will know from his uh, work on the design of the LOCKS uh, distributed preservation system. And um, here's the sort of short version of it, and then I'll come back and, and look at a couple of specifics. Um, we've known for a long time at a sort of a theoretical level that um, the web presents a range of preservation challenges ranging from the philosophical to the very um, sort of detailed and technical. Um, and that in particular um, it was possible to design sites that prevented that, that presented challenges uh, for preservation across that entire spectrum sites that basically challenged us to think about philosophically what we were trying to accomplish sites that just plain presented nasty technical problems what's happened now is that the theoretical has become widespread. We don't really know how widespread. We don't have time series on this. Probably the Internet Archive has the best anecdotal sense because they frequently transverse the entire web, although I would also suspect that there is vast knowledge about this inside of Google and Microsoft because of the web crawling that they do in support of um, the Google search system and Bing. But what they are seeing is a vastly um, increasing proportion of websites using various techniques and tools that are really quite problematic. Um, I think this um, calls for action on multiple fronts. Um, one is to really have some serious conversations about the philosophical challenges. Another is to try and um, develop a sort of a more um, consistent data collection strategy. It would be wonderful if um, we could find some way to um, fund or partner with um, the Internet Archive to try and develop a sort of a um, set of annual indicators about the state of the web from the from a from a preservation perspective. How bad is it getting out there? How fast? Um, a side um, development there might be if we could identify 
difficulties with certain very common kinds of auth- web authoring platforms, say WordPress or something like that, um, where it might be possible to have a um, conversation with the development community with an eye towards making these uh, sites that are hosted on these platforms more hospitable to archiving. Um, so those were two real genuine kind of um, calls to action that, that I um, felt came out of this. Um, but let me start with the sort of philosophical side of things. Um, we are seeing, you know, we've talked for a long time about the ability to personalize in Web 2.0. Um, we have seen in recent years the rise of an enormously complex data brokering and interchange system that largely lives in the uh, shadows, but that um, through the use of various cookies and other tracking devices um, allows for a lot of personalization of both advertising and presentation. Um, We are starting to see sites that use things like your Facebook logon, if you're logged into Facebook, as a way of driving personalization. Um, One of the reports that was kind of shocking to me was that um, a site like uh, whitehouse.gov actually is doing that kind of personalization now. Now, you'd think, you know, whitehouse.gov, this is something that would be part of the sort of governmental record and you'd want to capture this. And you can certainly capture the experience as seen by a user coming in with a fresh browser with all the cookies cleared. um, And uh, that will be one experience. But it's not the experience that the vast majority of Americans visiting this are getting, um, which appears now to be quite significantly personalized. Um, uh, There were a number of people at the Internet Archive when they discovered this who all tried logging in off of their own machine. Every one of them got a different different presentation from that site. So we've got a real philosophical challenge in a world where this dissemination medium is increasingly personalized. What are we supposed to capture? Whose experience are we capturing in these web crawls? And do we need to take provision to try and document the range of different experiences that these sites are giving to different kinds of users? Um, This is ultimately a philosophical question, although one that's highly constrained by technical issues and resource issues, frankly. But um, it's one that I think is going to um, uh, really merit some intense attention. Um, The way in which um, uh, sites are now able to customize is extremely challenging. Um, Another phenomenon we're seeing more and more and more is sites that really are simply interfaces to databases and um, where historically you could actually collect the databases um, when they were in print form. Now you only can harvest this sort of snapshot and you've got this deep web database behind it. Um, Good examples of this would be various sorts of product catalogs, 
um, plane or train schedules, um, uh, these sorts of, of materials, which actually are important kinds of ephemera that um, find their way into collections and now are, um, are, are largely uncollectible. Um, it's worth noting, by the way, that we all know that the Internet Archive does crawl the web and does a fabulous and um, uh, pretty comprehensive job of collecting pages. They're collecting pages. They are not dealing with the increasingly common embedded streamed audio and video objects. Um, the question of how we collect these kind of streamed materials um, is again uh, one that's largely untouched. I believe that um, some sort of highly curated and um, highly focused collections of web capture do pull some of this material, but um, it's actually hard to capture streamed material. It's not like if there's a linked video file and you can just copy it. In many cases, um, things are designed to be streamed and designed to be hard to pull down and um, uh, make a permanent copy of. Uh, so um, here's another very significant challenge we have um, when you look at the deployment of these kinds of materials on the web, I think we're rapidly getting to the point where there is enough personalization that um, we are, we're facing some um, significant practical questions that used to be, you know, sort of theoretical questions about what if everybody got a different newspaper customized. Everybody is getting a different newspaper customized today. Um, I don't think that we found a lot of answers to some of the um, some of the fundamental philosophical questions here. These are things that um, bear thought and examination and perhaps ultimately don't have right answers, but only appropriate answers when considered in a context of specific aims um, for capturing material and purposes for um, preserving material. But I think that one of the important things that I came away from was from this workshop with was a sense that um, these problems are rapidly moving from theoretical considerations to issues about how we understand and document the web at scale today. And with that, um, uh, I thank you for joining us, and we'll be back with you soon, I hope, for another CNI Conversations.